Hey Trekkies and welcome to another episode of Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast we review episodes of Star Trek starting at the original series. My name is John and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So Kevin, what episode are we reviewing today? We are talking about season one, episode 10 of the original series, and that is the Corbamite Maneuver. And I thought I was going to flub when I said the word Corbamite, but now I've said it twice <laughs> without messing it up. So good start so right. far. Written out, it looks like an easy to misread word for sure. Uh, but before we get into our warp speed recap, I got a question for you. You ready? Lay it on me. All right. In a first contact situation, what might be some of your first questions you would ask of this new alien race? Let's let you, let's let you go first on that yeah. one. Yeah. All right. If you need a second, I got I got mine ready. Um. So I think the first thing I would ask is, or or it might take more words than just a few to ask it, but more or less, what do your people value? So we know the Ferengi value money or or latinum, their form of money. The Klingon value honor. Humans, for the most part, valued life. We try to save life at all costs. So to me, finding that out will really help you get a broad perspective of that race as a whole. Uh, second question would be, uh, what do your people eat or drink? Because when you're bringing them on your ship, you're trying to entertain with them. The As far as we understand, the uh, key necessity to almost all life is you know, some kind of food. So you want to be hospitable, make friends figure out what they like to eat and drink. Uh, and then, um, why did you, why do you travel to space? Did you guys, you know, thrash your planet and you needed to evacuate it? Are you searching for, you know, new species to interact with or trying to learn or, you know, what, what, what motivated them to journey out into the stars? Nice. That's kind of interesting. That's a solid round set of questions. I, I like that a lot. The, the second one, the eat and drink, that's a second, that's a bet. Let me try that again. <laughs> Asking them about what they'd eat and drink is great for a first contact question because mm-hmm. when the Cerritos comes around for second contact, <laughs> from <laughs> lower be prepared. Next, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> updated, uh, uh, what do you call it? Replicators. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right, I, what do you got? I think the the fir- the first and the most important thing that I would ask would be about their political structure. Like, how do they choose leaders? Do they have a single leader or a set of leaders or leaders at all. Do they still um, use a guillotine? <laughs> right. Yeah. What kind of uh, uh, prisons systems do they have? Do they have devices that can make you forget things like we've seen in prior episodes of Star Trek? Uh, what do they think of it? Basically trying to get a, a quick history of how they view themselves and others. Can we walk on the grass? That's a huge one right there. (laughs) Right? Like, you don't want to overstep their legal rules and stuff just because you don't know any of them. So, where do you land on the whole grass thing? I'm so glad you brought this up (laughs) because it's not here nor there, but I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I'm I'm the kind of person that if I grow a nice lawn, I don't care if people step on it because it's grass. Yeah. I mean, I think it's made to be walked on. So, yeah, you should. Now, it's different if people are like walking their dog and letting them, you know do their business on your lawn because that can ruin it. But occasionally not a big deal. If it's daily, then that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I was taking my dog for a walk the other day and I, we had to jump off the sidewalk because there was a car parked across the sidewalk and stuff. So went down to the road and I had to walk across someone's lawn and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is an old shitty lawn, but I still felt really bad walking through someone's grass. (laughs) But at the same point, I'm like, I don't care. So yeah, if aliens care about that, that's a good question to ask for a first contact. Yes, and I think we see that in a few a few episodes ahead. We have that 
issue. Nice. So we'll go over that. Um, was that all three of yours? Uh, that was, that's all I've got to answer okay. that question. All that's right. all I've got. I like it. I like it. Um, all right. You ready for the warp speed recap? Let's go, baby. Continuing on through space, charting what seems to be an endless array of the same stars and planets, the crew of the Enterprise is growing bored. Though they don't know it, they will soon encounter more excitement than they can handle. As Spock is in command, the ship encounters a spitting cube-like object. No matter how they try, they cannot seem to get around this cube. Not only is it blocking their path, but it is getting closer and emitting radiation. Kirk, back on the bridge, gives the order to fire on the cube and destroys it. As they try to carry on their way, the Enterprise is confronted by a massive and powerful ship, which looks like a a cluster of golden spheres and has the power to stop them in their tracks. They are hailed by Baylock from the flagship Fisarius of the First Federation. Uh, He informs them that this cube was a uh, warning, a marker buoy of the First Federation borders, and destroying it was an act of hostility towards them. Uh, The crew of the Enterprise is given 10 human minutes, 10 Earth minutes, I think he says, or 10 Earth time periods called minutes, uh, to make their peace before being destroyed. Uh, Scrambling and scratching their heads, the crew tries to think of options. Finally, after pondering Spock's chess analogy, Kirk has a plan. He warns the alien ship of a rare defensive feature uh, of the Enterprise, it is composed of corbamite, and when fired upon, corbamite will reflect the damage back to the attacker. In 200 years, no attacking ship has survived. A well-played bluff on the captain's part. After the time slowly winds down, Baylock decides not to attack. Instead, he will use a shuttle to tractor their ship to a nearby First Federation M-class planet, where the crew will be imprisoned and the ship destroyed. Being tractored, the Enterprise is able to break away, but not without sustaining significant damage to their engines. They do notice that Baylock's shuttle also sustained damage and is trying to send a distress signal. Regardless of the crew's hesitation, Kirk decides to move close and offer assistance. He beams aboard with Bones and Bailey. They are surprised to find a mannequin. Uh, It seems that they've been deceived. Balak reveals himself and welcomes them to join him. He appears very similar to a human child. Uh, Balak explains that the distress signal is actually a test to determine their true character, and he is pleased with what he has seen. This may be a successful first contact after all. Uh, Balak suggests one of the Enterprise crewmen stay behind for some time to help better get to know each other's cultures. Bailey gladly offers... Uh, before Kirk and Bones return to the Enterprise, Baylock is pleased to give them a tour of his ship. That was that was a that was an episode that had a <laughs> a little bit. You told me already you weren't a fan of this episode so much, oh, right? Oh gosh, no! That <laughs> I thought this episode sucked. Like just yeah. everything about it. There was nothing. Nothing good about it outside of, you know, the actors that are in the episode. Like, I, I nothing about the story was redeemable to me. Yeah, so I, I've, I've had both sides of this, actually, because I watched this episode, I think, for the first time about a year ago, and I was confused. I often would put 
put episodes on while I'm falling asleep. So sometimes that will just get me messed up, but I'll rewatch it the next day if I didn't finish it or if I don't remember it. Um, but I remember I watched this one a couple times and I just didn't really get what was going on. But, you know, I just kind of moved on and went to, yeah, went to the next episode. Watching it again now, there's, uh, I know about the First Federation. So there was this major click that are like, oh my God, an aha moment for me. I've been listening to a podcast series. It's an audio drama called um, Star Trek Outpost. And in this, they have this whole civilization that is the First Federation. They, they're pretty significant in the story. And you get to know a little bit about their culture and stuff. So seeing the First Federation here, I'm like, oh my God, that's where these creators, this giant known productions, where they got this concept of the First Federation. And then they elaborated on it and, you know, made up a bunch of extra story to go with it. Uh, but it was really cool to kind of see the roots of where it came from. So the second time around watching this episode, you know, more recently at least, I was excited when I noticed that. So it was, you know, a much better experience for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Having a little bit of someone else's headcanon can kind of add to <laughs> your enjoyment of something. That's great, too. because That's what makes me enjoy these episodes more is listening to you and your headcanon about this. And that's essentially what Star Trek uh, that. I forget, outpost is, yeah. is basically it's not like a legitimate canon series is it no no and actually i think after a certain season uh they had to start they had to change um how they word their name they call it outpost a star trek fan production okay and then at, at the end of the episode they disclaim that they're not actually affiliated with cbs or star trek you know studios or whatever but so in the beginning i noticed on the bridge they have a totally different camera angle than we've seen yet this is like a over the head camera angle you know where you could see the guys pushing the buttons stuff like that that to me that didn't really add much i just thought that was pretty interesting what'd you think yeah so if you'll remember back in uh it was either the the cage or where no man has gone before they did something similar where they zoomed into the ship and then through like the dome of the saucer section where the bridge is and then zoomed in from down uh from up above down below and they, I, I found out this episode is actually the first one that was filmed after NBC gave them the green light. So this was th them trying to find their footing, I think, with production and with uh, with uniforms. You see Uhura wearing a gold uniform, um, a, a lot of other things that don't seem to fit in with the the timeline that they were aired, but makes sense in the timeline that they were filmed. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of little you know, features or details they're still trying to work out. I like it. I like to see Spock uh, um, commanding the ship, at least for a little while. Yeah, that was that was cool that they threw that in so early in the series, too, showing that the captain can be doing other stuff and Spock can yeah. handle it as the first officer. And so Kirk isn't on the bridge because he is having a physical with Bones. And it's kind of funny because Bones sees the, the lights for the red alert, but he has them silenced in, in the medical bay. And so he's instead of telling him, oh, hey, something's going on. You should get to the bridge. He keeps him there and doesn't mention nothing. But then Kirk is a little little pissed off when he realizes he's like, hey, how come you didn't tell me? He's like, well, if I told you, uh, let me see. I actually have it right here. Uh, he said, what am I, a doctor or a moon, shu moon shuttle conductor is what he said. What? <laughs> and he said, if I if I jumped every time a light came on around here, I'd end up talking to myself. So first off, I don't know what a moon shuttle conductor is. And second, I like that he said that if I jumped up, if I jumped every time a light came on around here, I'd be talking to myself. I like that he said that because he was talking to himself when he said that. So yeah, it's like, it ended up I, I would be going crazy. It's like, 
Well, yeah, you are going crazy because you're <laughs> sitting there talking to yourself. Yeah, he said that after Kirk had left the room. What are your thoughts on that? Because that jumped out at me. Not not him saying that specically, but about him not letting Kirk know that there was an alarm going off and that he was needed on the bridge. What do yeah, you think well, about that? I, I think that's like he's learned by now. That's just absolutely necessary. <laughs> if he can ever pin down Kirk for hey, just five minutes, lay on this bed, let me scan you or something. You know, otherwise it's one crisis after another that they can't avoid. So he has to mute everything around them to get it done. I kind of going back and forth on that myself because there, there are times when you need the captain, when you find something and you're, you know, the flagship vessel and you find something like a floating cube that makes you stand still. You can't escape from it. Or I guess you're not standing still, but you can't escape from it regardless. You kind of need the captain to be able to make decisions like that. And if he's just doing a physical, he could come back later for the physical, man. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Though I think Spock was handling it better than Kirk because he was just trying to analyze it and be evasive and try to get around it. He probably would have just backed away if they couldn't get around it or found an alternate route. But Kirk was like, yeah, let's just push it. Let's push it. And then, nope, it's not moving. We got to fire on it or else we're going to get destroyed. And then they were in trouble for destroying a buoy, <laughs> the hostile action. On the bridge, one of the crewmen says, uh, me raising my voice back there doesn't mean I was scared or couldn't do my job. It means I have a human thing called an adrenaline gland. And then Spock replies to him, it does sound most inconvenient, however. Have you considered uh, having it removed? I, th- I love that because it's not that it's necessarily funny, but that's Vulcan humor at its best. That is yeah. like 100% Spock trying to make a joke. Yeah, it was great. And that was the, the ensign or whatever crew. It was the crewman that was... Uh, yeah, Bailey. Said, He's the one that stands yeah, behind. Yeah, Bailey, that's his name. Yeah. He's the one that yeah. ends up staying behind. So he goes through his own arc in this as well when they first come across the the cube and they can't escape he's like ah what are we gonna do he starts raising his voice and uh spock takes note of that so that's what that was following up Uh, in the next scene we see uh kirk was leaving his quarters he was just checking on how everything's going with over the comm with uh, spock as he leaves his quarters i noticed I thought this is really odd but maybe like you're saying this first episode being recorded after approval so they're working out kinks the camera panned and followed his ass. Did you see that? I didn't notice it. No, I might, <laughs> I might have noticed it at the time, but then quickly forgot about it. Uh, I just thought that, that was super weird. There was no reason for that, but it just seemed to follow and I, that's super I had odd. to note it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very strange. Oh, so when they're in the briefing room, we find out they spent 18 hours trying to communicate with that cube uh, or better st- understand it. Do you think, do you think you would wait? You would, is that a good use of time to sit there and try to communicate with that cube? Or, you know, for me at least, I would just turn around, go a, a, a wide berth around it in a different direction or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, their whole mission is to seek out new life and new civilizations. Um, that's kind of their their mission. I, 18 hours I don't think was long enough. Uh, if you can't escape it, I think there should have been a lot more time before let's blow it up. <laughs> personally <laughs> 18 hours seems very a very short amount of time to potentially try to figure out how to communicate with something before destroying it yeah okay so then yeah kirk does give the order to um try to go around it in a spiral formation doesn't work out they have to shoot it and it blows up uh but then they see another object was detected and it ends up being that that ship I was happy actually to see this ship, and now I, I don't know how. I didn't know this was only their, their first episode with the new budget. 
because uh, that cube to me that that floating buoy was like a Windows screensaver, and it looked <laughs> looked so cheap. But then you see this big golden sphere ship show up, and you're like, okay, they're not cutting corners. This isn't paper mache or nothing like that. They're actually doing some half decent animation, especially for their time. Uh, so that kind of made me happy. It looked pretty, I don't know, legitimate, intimidating. That ship, you want to know what it was made out of? What's it made out of? Ping pong balls glued to a shell. <laughs> <laughs> so, really? yes, it was legitimately ping pong balls, all those golden spheres. Nice. And it was just glued onto a, a, a shell. So it was, it, they did cut a few corners, almost, but it, did, it didn't look paper like mache. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't look like they were cutting corners. They actually made it look decent. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny when I read that. Uh, I noted that they, they called it the. Uh, well, again, first episode, uh, United Earth Ship Enterprise. And I'm wondering, like, in this point in the show, are they not part of the Federation yet? Or, you know, how that works? But So this is before they... Uh, I, I As of this point, I have not heard the words Starfleet or United Federation of Planets. So at this point in the series, and we hear it in one of the next episodes, they're part of the United Earth Space Probe Agency, also called USPA. Ah, it was I bef- see. before they established, and they actually used uh, s- the word Starfleet in the next episode, but they didn't uh, actually designate the United Federation of Planets until later on in this season. Hmm. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, so that's when all the first... trivia I've got. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fresh out of uh, trivia. Blew yeah, through it all that quickly. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, so they get hailed by by Baylock, and I was at, at another point where I'm like super either disappointed or scared of you know what kind of quality of uh visual effects they're going to use because we see this the the what we end up finding out is a mannequin but that like face that's blurred out and it's like a blue like animatronic kind of character and it looked just it looks super cheesy and i was like oh my god this is horrible how could they put that on tv um what did you think when you first saw that? Did you, I mean, I just believed that that's what they were going with for some alien race. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. After seeing the cube, I was like, oh my God, they blew their budget on making ping pong balls glow. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Oh yeah. So one thing I didn't have in the, in the warp speed recap is Bailey. You mentioned earlier he was, he was uh, getting scared. He has like a full on meltdown when they say, when, when Baylock says that he's going to destroy the ship. He's like freaking out, panics, and then uh, Kirk actually has to order him off the bridge, tell him to go to his quarters, and McCoy escorts him. Um, have we, I don't think we've seen anybody react like unprofessionally out of Starfleet so far in this series. Have you, have you noticed that before? Like somebody freaking out like he did? Um, other than people that are under the influence of something else or something. No, I, everybody's been pretty like proper trained Starfleet. Yeah, that makes me want like, they must go through, I mean, they have Kobayashi Maru and stuff. They have all kinds of training that is to handle the stresses of being in full-on conflict, let alone, you know, uh, first contact and threatening situations. So I was really surprised to see somebody react so emotionally and unpredictably in this kind of a setting and, and be a, a bridge officer at that. Yeah, I, that was definitely very strange, especially for the flagship of the... Of, of Starfleet, but it was good for the story because it di- made a little banter between Kirk and McCoy, as everything tends to do. 
but it also uh showed Kirk's uh kind of his history. Like he said that he was sort of like that too. And there's a point where it's basically make or break when fight or flight. Um it's situations like that that'll really test somebody to see whether or not they can cut it. Mm-hmm. Essentially. I I don't know what the exact conversation was, but that's what he was going for uh with Bailey and wanted him prior to kicking him off the bridge, wanted to feel him out, see if he was able to cut the mustard. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like uh just after that too, there's uh Spock references chess. It says um uh, what did he say? He he was trying to suggest a maneuver, you know, uh related to playing chess. But all I remember is Kirk saying not chess, Mr. Spock, poker. And that's where he, you know, talks to the uh, Baylock and tells him uh, that our ship's made of Corbomite. If you attack us, it'll actually deflect onto you and destroy your ship. So you might want to second guess that. And that, I thought that was just so, like, funny, kind of wise. Like, I don't know if Spock, Spock wouldn't think of something like that because he's a Klingon and it's just illogical to try to lie so blatantly, I guess without any evidence to support it, but I, I like it. I think that was a well-played uh, move on Kirk's part. As much as I like the slip of the tongue, uh, you calling Spock a Klingon, I want to see that now. I want to see that now. I want to see Spock as a Klingon, but uh, yeah, no, it was, that was, yeah. it was pretty good. The, the funny thing about it is when he said that, I was just thinking the whole time, Kirk is telling this guy, I am rubber and you're glue. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly like your ship looks really big and all but you know right. as soon as you fire on me you're gonna be destroyed sorry but <laughs> i thought it was pretty funny but it made sense and it showed kirk's ingenuity and uh kind of the limitations of spock with his vulcan mind uh what he's the kind of stuff that he's able to come up with yeah, so, yeah you're absolutely right on with that and then and then Baylock hails him back and says hey um you know what, we'll go ahead and spare your ship if you can prove to us that you're made of Corbomite. And instead of, you know, jumping back or sending some kind of fake evidence or something like that, Kirk leaves him to stew for a second, like puts it on hold to kind of hold some negotiating power for just a second, which I thought was kind of funny or, I don't know, just interesting to see that strategic tactic. And then he responds with just a no deal, like we're not going to play your games. We are what, we, what I said we are. If you attack us, you're going to die. Take it or leave it. Uh, so that was kind of bold, still very uh, risky, but I think it's the it's the definitive Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. It's him coming up with the plan and then sticking to it, and it just always working out because he's Captain Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, then we see the small shuttle launches off. It's tractoring them, which is funny. The small shuttle is just like a, another small little cluster of those gold <laughs> spheres. Which yeah, hey, that's fine. But so, yeah, then they uh, break free of the tractor beam, which causes damage to both ships. The uh, First Federation ship is sending out a distress signal, but they recognize it won't reach the mothership. So Kirk gives the order to move a little bit closer and see if they need help. So they beam aboard. Uh, and they, that's when they find out that there's a mannequin there. They're like, what the heck? You know, were we being lied to this whole time? Yeah, they were being lied to. That was a, that was a prop to look, you know, like people expect a neighboring alien race to look like something large and intimidating because the first federation know that if the humans were to see, or most aliens were to see their childlike stature, that they wouldn't be intimidated at all. Right. Uh, one thing I want to point out though, is that he offers them Tranya, which is a drink that they make. 
and it's absolutely nothing in this. It's just, you could, you could have called it vodka and, you know, we would have recognized it. He just calls it Tranya. That's their drink. In the uh, series that I was mentioning earlier, the Star Trek Outpost, that's a huge deal. Like, they're known for Tranya. Like, one guy, one of the uh, Starfleet members at one point was talking about the space station, Deep Space 3, and saying, yeah, they should have just named it Tranya Station. <laughs> and like, that seems, <laughs> it's just, it's funny, but uh it's a it's a cool drink because it they kind of put that mystic allure behind it that it's like moonshine only made in very you know a few places in first federation territory it's illegal to sell outside of the first federation so they they have to smuggle it to get it anywhere else and the distinct uh feature of it is that it doesn't taste like anything specific it doesn't taste the same way to every anybody and you can't replicate it it tastes like a memory. So if you if you remember sitting on grandma's porch drinking, you know, sweet tea in the summer, when you oh. drink it, you're going to taste that. If you remember being a little kid having hot cocoa and sitting on Santa's lap or something like that, you were going to drink it and it's going to taste like that and it's going to feel like your, you know, favorite childhood memory. So That's people really fall cool. in love with it and get addicted to it because of that. Oh man, it, it, is it alcoholic? It I don't think so. I, okay. I yeah, it's just, it's um, more than alcoholic. I think it's um, euphoric. You know, it okay. makes you fall in love with it because how good it feels to drink it, but it's from your own I, memories. I would love to see them make that canon. That yeah. sounds so well thought. I got to listen to this, this Star Trek outpost, or the outpost, a Star Trek fan production. I need <laughs> to listen to that because it sounds like it's just adding so much lore to stuff that it was just throwaway. Uh, yeah. last minute decision stuff that they just added in there like you were saying with Tranya. Yeah, and there's some arcs in that that get kind of slow, but overall it's a pretty pretty darn good story. The funny thing is I like all the the drinks and stuff in Star Trek cuz there are a <laughs> lot of them that are pretty uh pretty recognizable. Like you've got Romulan ale, you got Klingon blood wine. Uh, DS9 was all about Ractagena, which is Klingon coffee. I, I love the the level of detail that Star Trek puts into its drinks, and just to have something like Tranya just as a throwaway thing. <laughs> Good on this uh, fan production, <laughs> this audio drama to be able to put some lore behind it, because Star Trek does put a lot of love into the drinks that they make for that. And of course, if there's a, a moonshine like drink, high demand, not a lot of people making it, the Ferengi in the area are oh, trying yeah. to capitalize on it, so they're trying to corner the market and find a a good source to be able to sell it. I wonder if they ever brought that up in like a in deep space nine or anything if it was like a throwaway line that they could have hidden some i don't know even lower decks i could see them i bring that up every week because lower decks is fantastic but yeah. i could see them bringing it up for just yeah. a, a a one line a one liner uh, like somebody just has a bottle of it and they're trying to like pass it around right. or something yeah uh so yeah after that we see we get introduced to Baylock. he offers them tranya and they they talk that's where he does point out that he operates that entire, that massive sphere ship by himself. So he gets lonely. So really he's looking for somebody just to spend time with him is kind of what he boils it down to. So that's why he asks like, maybe one of your crewmen can stay behind with me so we can have a you know, exchange of cultures and, you know, I can learn more about your people. You can learn about me. And so uh, Bailey, who was already feeling really uncomfortable on Enterprise, uh, decides to go ahead and stay behind. Which I thought was a little odd, but at the same time, he wasn't, you know, cut out, I guess, for being on the Enterprise. So maybe this was more of a appealing fit for him. 
I think it's his way of trying to be like, I can step up and be the guy that Starfleet needs me to be. And I'll come back with more experience and more, uh, more wisdom behind me. But I just thought of an idea. I want an odd couple show called Baylock and Bailey. <laughs> it would oh, take yeah. place. It take place on this guy's sh- on Baylock's ship, and them mm-hmm. just like getting into shenanigans, like not picking up after each other, uh, cleaning dishes and stuff. Ba- and, Bailey oh, gets totally like uh, addicted to the Tranya. Oh yeah, for sure. And at first they're like best friends and stuff, but eventually they start to get on each other's nerves. So after six <laughs> months or so, Baylock is like, "Okay, this is a great exchange of cultures. It's time for you to go back to Starfleet." <laughs> <laughs> and there's no Starfleet ships around because the Enterprise is the 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 furthest one out into into space so he's stuck with them so you got to see what other shenanigans they can come up with yeah that would be that'd be hilarious <laughs> i would love to see that another thing that's in that star trek outpost about this race which is kind of cool is because of their technology i mean they point out in this that they're able to just stop the enterprise in place um i don't remember i didn't realize anything specific of them being able to manipulate uh human technology or you know the federation technology but in outpost that's one thing they say is you know, they can just hack in pretty much hack into your ship and make it do whatever they want um, in this time period. But because that's the outpost is hundreds of years later, First Federation put up borders, didn't want to interact with anybody. So their technology eventually became obsolete. And the newer Federation, the United Federation of Planets, their newer technology actually ends up surpassing the First Federation, which creates some more kind of struggle between them or, you know, turmoil. But it's, it's really, really interesting story. It's so crazy that they used the first Federation from this one random episode of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. To and build an entire series on. Yeah. And it's just because they're like on the fringes of space there. That, that it really it's what this entire series was built on because they revolve around uh, uh, Deep Space Three, which was built in this portion of space only because it was near these new aliens they just met, the first Federation. But after that, shortly after that, the First Federation was like, yeah, you guys are okay. We're not going to fight, but we don't really want to interact with you. So we're going to put up our borders and just kind of isolate ourselves. And so Deep Space Three gets almost no use after that. I wonder if this show uh, talks about anything to do with Bailey to see what happened to him. If he ever got back to, yeah. Feder- to Starfleet or if he I stayed did- with him until he died. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything about him, but I didn't know about him when I first started listening to this. So there probably there could easily be a... Uh, reference to him at some point heavy heavy shout out to giant gnome productions yes for for uh, star trek outpost because we're gonna uh, it sounds like we're gushing about them and i've never even listened to them so <laughs> yeah and i I'm, i hope they keep going in the beginning uh this has been on, going on since like 2008 or 9 or something like that uh they were producing an episode every month i believe and now it's scaled down to like one or two a year so i'm hoping they Keep keep going, keep pumping them out because uh, it's actually tied in with the next generation timeline at this point. Oh, okay, uh, the whole Locutus episode. So it's <laughs> it's like really, nice. man. I just want to, I just want more. Don't stop. <laughs> I can't uh, wait till we talk about the next generation, but we got a ways to go before we get there. Long ways, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, let's see. Now, did you find a moral to the story in this? A certain hidden message we're supposed to be pulling out um the moral of what i would have gathered from the story is mostly to do with bailey and his Mm -hmm. reactions to things and 
it was that there's always room for growth and that you can learn to fit your role even if you're not prepared for it when you get it. I, I don't know. I, I like that. Yeah, roll with the punches, make lemon out of lemonades. Wait, lemonade out of lemons? That's the one. I, I would love it <laughs> if you go the other way around. Sometimes you just need a lemon, but all you got is lemonade. <laughs> just push it really hard. You can form it back into a solid. <laughs> like coal into diamonds. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah, I would say it's more um, do what is right just because it's right. Like I like how Kirk decided when they're both more or less stranded, or both their ships are in bad condition. Uh, still, though, these guys were trying to kill us and they were going to imprison us and destroy our ship. Uh, we got to move over there. We got to check on them, make sure they don't need assistance. If anything, we can save them, and maybe this will you know help us be on good terms with them or whatever. But to do right just because it's right to do what's right. And if good stuff happens because of it, then that's an added bonus. I guess you're kind of right. We, uh, you're right. We kind of glossed over the fact that when they went back after the the first Federation ship was kind of disabled and setting out the distress call, that's when the choice they had the choice of either running away mm-hmm. or going to save them, and they chose to say even though they didn't really need saving, it was all Baylock playing a a trick on them or trying to figure out more about them. Yeah, that, that that that's good. That's a good pull. I wish I would have seen that, but I like the whole making lemonade from or making lemons from lemonade better. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta practice it. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Maybe uh, Klingon Spock will show you how. <laughs> <laughs> you go. I just gotta drink more before I get on this. Uh, all right. Any other uh, quick notes before we wrap it up? Um. You like this episode a little more now after talking about it than watching it. As always, yeah. After listening to whatever, uh, to anything that you have to say about the episode, especially uh, if it's like thought out stuff like about the Tronia, just little stuff like that. Yeah, of course, it makes me like it quite a bit more than I originally did. Um, I will probably never go back and watch this episode ever again, <laughs> but yeah. it was it was OK. It was OK. All right. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. If you like what you heard, uh, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out our website, geekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, send us questions. If you have any questions you want us to, to talk about at the beginning of the episode or just general questions for us, let us know. Um, unless you're Frank. Unless you're Frank. Then don't send us questions. <laughs> and I don't have the name of the next episode ready. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's it. It's uh, the Menagerie part one. Oh, that's right. That's right. I was actually writing notes on that one already. Uh, so please join us next week for season one, episode 11, Menagerie part one. We'll probably also do Menagerie part two in the oh, same episode. Oh, we can do a two parter episode? I think so. Nice. We'll see how that goes. Stay tuned. <laughs> Until then, transporter room. Two to beam up.